The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. And the scripture today is from Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, we're not praying right now because it's the right thing to do in our liturgy. We're praying because, number one, we have the privilege to pray because of the blood of Jesus, to come to the throne of grace, to ask for grace and mercy and well-timed help. And we're praying because we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. And we know that the kind of change that this this text, your word, holds forth to us can only come by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we are genuinely asking you to come in and fill our hearts with your spirit. Change us through your word. God, help us to leave different than we came in. Lord, would you, the Almighty God, who is always working for the good of your people and the glory of your name, would you fulfill what you command in these passages? And do it today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So you remember that next week we're going to start kind of a a 12-week series on kind of corporately who we are and what we're called to And we were just going to take these two weeks to consider individually who we are and what we're called to. And so last week, 
we spent almost all of our time in verses 3 to 4, and what we saw there was our past and present and future reality of who we are in Christ. So I'll just remind you in one sentence each of what we saw last week. We saw that we've died to sin with Christ, and therefore condemnation and shame is gone, and our old sinful habits are now unwelcome house guests, not welcomed visitors in our homes. Second, we saw our lives are hidden with Christ in God, which means we've been brought into eternal fellowship with our triune God to live forever, and we have power now to walk in newness of life. And then we saw finally the future, that when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will appear with him, our lives so bound up in his that when he shows up, we show up with him free of any shame, perfectly able to take in the beauty of Christ and without any more sin to get in the way ever. And we said that this union with Christ in his death and his resurrection and his appearing means that when the Father looks at us, he sees us as he sees his Son covered in the righteousness of Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk more and more like Jesus. Verses 3 and 4 teach us the heart of Christian identity in our union with Jesus so that we know by grace this is who I am. This is who we are. This is what is most true of us. And so what I want to do today is cover verses 1 to 2 in verses 5 to 17, and really what verses 1 to 2 and 5 to 17 are saying is this. If verses 3 and 4 are, here's who you are, verses 1 to 2 and verses 5 to 17 are saying, become who you are. (laughs) Grow into your identity. Let new morality flow from abiding, staying in your new identity in Jesus. In other words, the commands of Christ, and there are some commands in this text, are meant to lead us into the life of Christ. In other words, when the commands of Christ come in the New Testament, they're not meant to be this heavy burden laid on the Christian soul. Instead, they're meant to to hit the redeemed soul, empowered by the Spirit, and bring about new life. They're meant to be an, an invitation to further fellowship and further freedom and further joy and further life lived to the glory of God. The reality of who we are, when a command comes, it makes us all the more want to be who we are and walk in further freedom and hope and joy. So let me give an example in life of what I mean. What does it mean to to be who you are, but then need to grow more and more into who you are? So let me give one example. And you could do this with a million different things in life. But as soon as a couple sees lines on a pregnancy test, they know their parents. Right? They know that. that. That suddenly becomes a part of their, their identity. And whatever happens after that, there's an unshakable reality of who they are. But they don't just stop there, right? They begin to live into that reality. It begins to change what they do and who they are and, and how they think, right? They, they start to do things they've never done before, right? They start to buy baby naming books, and they start to sift through names. Probably don't buy baby naming books anymore, do you? You just, you just Google it now, don't you? That's old. That's what we did. We bought 
baby naming books. <laughs> and you start to look up weird things like car seat safety ratings, right? And it's like, well, that's a 3.8 and that's a 4.1. Yes, I will pay the 700 extra dollars for that <laughs> 0.3 rating, right? They, they begin to pick out clothes, right? Early on, they just buy it for all the genders, right? They just buy it for both. They say, we're going to get some blue and some pink and some yellow and some green just in case, right? And they, they begin to go on appointments, and they begin to put together endless amounts of cribs and bouncers and other things. They begin to plan their new schedules. They begin to spend hours and hours, right? Either, I suppose it's online now, but it used to be at Babies R Us, walking through aisles, just overwhelmed at what was to come. And they never did those things before. And then, when the little one actually comes, right, it, it goes to a whole new level. They begin to use the name, <laughs> that they chose from that baby book. They begin to put that little one in the car seat and in the bouncer and they let them play with all those gadgets that they bought. They start to live out the new schedule with less sleep than ever. And as the little one grows, they begin having burdens for their child's spiritual and physical and emotional health. Right? And then they begin navigating new things and new realities. How they spend their time and money changes. They don't have time or money anymore. And priorities change. And then they begin sounding like their parents, right, as their kids get older and saying things that they thought they would never say and made no sense at the time. So what's going on there? They're learning what it means to be a parent, <laughs> Right? They're, they're growing into what it means to be a parent. They're, they're failing at what it means to be a parent. They're saying they're sorry, especially to the first one, right, for what it means to be a parent. So let me ask you this question. In that progression, at what point were they more truly parents than any other moment? Right? Were they more parents at the end or the beginning? Were they more truly parents the first moment they saw the test versus the, the, the later moments? Of course not, right? They were always parents. That was true the, the whole time. But they more and more became who they were. None of what they did, none of those activities made them who they are. <laughs> they were parents. None of those things earned them their parenthood. None of those things suddenly had a switch. It's like, well, now you've actually graduated to real parenthood, right? It's just, it's just the other way around. They were parents, and the natural overflow was filled with all sorts of activities, all sorts of changes, all sorts of new realities, all sorts of new rhythms, all sorts of new habits, all sorts of new burdens and cares and desires and longings. And that's what it's like to be in Christ. So last week, we saw that by grace... You are never more or less a Christian than the moment you first believed. Isn't that good news? That doesn't go up and down like this. You can't lose it by not doing enough activity or not being involved in enough things. By grace, that's never more or less true than the moment we first believed. But what happens in our hearts is we want to become more and more who we are in Jesus. I just want to walk more closely with him. And what we're going to see today is that the commands of Christ lead us into the life of Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today. Last week, here's who we are. This week, 
Let's become, let's become, let's grow up into who we are. So let's look at verses 1 to do, one to 2, seek and be set on your identity in Christ. Read it with me. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So we're united to Christ, and Paul is calling us these first commands to seek Christ, to lift the eyes of our hearts above the the sinful, the broken world that we live in, and instead to lift up our eyes to Jesus, to to look away from all the false temptations and, and false joys, and instead seek fellowship with Jesus. Notice in my analogy about the parents that who they were made them very active, right? right? They thought they were busy before they had kids, and suddenly all of these new realities and new responsibilities kind of exploded on the scene, and, and that's how it is here. We're supposed to orient all of our lives, all of our activity, all of our seeking on Jesus. Those are the two commands here. Seek Him Seek the things that are above where Christ is because that's where you actually are because you're in Him and set your mind there. Actively seek to think about the beauty of Jesus. In other words, if what we say here week after week about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is true, and if by faith the Bible holds out this invitation of fellowship with that Jesus, why wouldn't we let that fill our mind and orient all that we do if it's true? Paul is calling us to this awesome thing, (laughs) to be commanded to take in beauty, right? When you're you're at the Grand Canyon, you would hope that someone would have to say, hey, there it is, (laughs) right? You You should look, Or when you're at the ocean, hey, there it is, you should look. But Paul is just reminding us because he knows that if you've been at the ocean for a while, right, you start to notice the garbage on the beach rather than looking out at the ocean. All right, if you've been at the Grand Canyon for a while, right, you start to want to go to the gift shop and forget about what the gift shop is all about and you get distracted and confused and he's saying, remember the beauty of Jesus. Seek him. Set your mind on it. Seeking him and setting our minds on him will begin to make us like him. In fact, I think these commands to seek and to set come first because they're foundational to our ability to follow through on the ones that come later. In other words, if we're going to keep the commands that we're going to see later, we just can't, we just can't do it unless we seek and set our minds on Jesus. In fact, I think that the way Christianity works is that as we seek Him, as we set our minds on Him, a miracle happens that His beauty invades our hearts and our hearts say, yes, that's who I am, that's what I want now, and we will change to be like Him. Now just think that that's what it says. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. If you're wondering, how do I change? How will I obey these commands? How can I do it? It just feels so broken and so lost. Here's what Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, 
For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, in the Old Testament, right, to, to gaze on the, on the beauty of the Lord, Moses had to wear a veil. Only he could go in there and speak to the Lord. And Paul is saying, do you understand that now you don't even need a veil and you get to gaze upon the beauty of Christ? And that when you do, the Spirit's going to come and He's going to transform you from the inside out. There, there's no longer any barriers. There's no longer any mediator. Right now, Jesus has been that mediator. He's paid the price. And you have 24-7 access to the beauty of Jesus. And when you go there, you're, you're changed. Kids, have you ever noticed that when you hang out with your friends, you become more like them? Right? Maybe you talk like them or play games they like. And that's what we want with Jesus. So I remember when I was a kid, we would go to this Uh, family camp for a week and probably the second or third year we were there and we probably went for 10 years or so I met this guy he was about two or three years older than me his name was Luke and man I thought Luke was awesome because he liked to play basketball like I did right and so so camp for me right became about just hanging out with Luke Right, long hours in a 97 degree old barn that was like a gym on concrete floors but, but as I hung out with him, by the end of the week, when I got home, right, Luke was from Virginia, I was talking with all sorts of weird accents and emphases. <laughs> and I remember my mom being like, you know, when, when is Luke going to wear off? Um, because I spent time with him, and I wanted to be like him, and just being around him was suddenly changing who I was and, and how I was speaking and, and what I wanted to do, and that's how it is when, when we want to be like Jesus, right? So, so I just want to say this to you. Holiness, holiness has to begin by hanging out with Jesus. It has to begin by, by hanging out with Jesus, by spending time with him. And I hope when you hear that, you don't hear again, okay, more time in the Word and more time in prayer. I hope you hear, you get to hang out with the creator of the universe, you get to hang out with the Savior of your soul. You get to hang out with the most beautiful person in the entire universe. Christian morality, true life in Christ, comes from actual change from the inside out more into the image of Jesus. We start to think like him. We start to act like him. We start to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And it happens by beholding him and seeking him and setting our minds on him. All Christian holiness, all Christian morality starts by hanging out with Jesus, by spending time with Jesus. So Paul says, set your mind there. And then he says, don't set your mind on the things of the earth. So there's this positive call, hang out with Jesus. And this negative, don't, don't think about the things on the earth. So as much as we're changed by hanging out with Jesus, have you ever noticed that all of your sinful patterns start in your mind as well? That, that this is kind of the first battleground, right? Clicking on that link that you've clicked on a hundred times and you said you'd never click on again, right? clicking on that link, doesn't it start ten hours earlier in the day in your mind? Or maybe the night before in your mind as, as you let that thought or that image rest there or that anger or that annoyance that spews out all of your coworker, or your, your family member or your friend 
Didn't that start in your mind a while back? That just didn't all come out of nowhere in that moment, right? You've been thinking about it and stewing on it. Or that bitterness and that gossip that comes out in that conversation. Where does, where does that start? Well, it comes, it starts from these broken, sinful, and sometimes, frankly, just kind of apathetic patterns of thinking, right? You just don't think much about what you think about. And so as your mind kind of wanders over here, right, it wanders to that burden and the people that are burdening you. <laughs> and it, it wanders to that, that thing, that temptation, and you, you let it rest there for a minute. And suddenly, by just the, the, the apathetic mind wandering, you're in a whole different place in, in sin is beginning. But in those moments, think about, think, take your place to those moments because you know they happen. We all have them. If in those moments, if you thought of your, your thought life as a, as a room that you're in with these thoughts, with these temptations, what would happen if in those moments Jesus walked in the room? What would happen? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it change things? Like if in that moment you're, you're thinking about that, that lustful thought or your anger towards that person or that, that bitterness and you're in this dark room, right? It's kind of shadowy, right? No one's really around. You've got some time. And all of a sudden the, the door bursts open and light comes in and who comes walking in? Jesus. That's what Paul is saying to do in your mind. <laughs> Just open the door and let Jesus walk in and remember His beauty, remember His glory and let Him... Let His holiness and His beauty and His goodness and His self-giving love undo that thought and bring life and wholeness into those places of death and brokenness. Let Him open the door and swing li- and push light into the darkness. Right? We're not after do's and don'ts. Do's and don'ts work for a little while. We're after Jesus. <laughs> We want fellowship with Jesus. We want relationship with Jesus. We're after the abundant life and true healing in the places most dead and broken. And it starts by life seeking to be with Jesus. And now I'm just going to beat the pastor, pastor drum for a minute by reading verses 16 to 17, okay? Here's what it says. It says, let, and this is, this is verses 16 to 17 are really the summary of the whole section of verses 1 to 17. And I think what Paul's saying is, Here's kind of the end point, and here's kind of the mechanisms to get there. It says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So I'll just keep saying this, this is the Sunday school, what every pastor says thing, but the main way we seek and set our minds on Jesus and hang out with Him is threefold. We hang out with Him in the Word of God. <laughs> we spend time in the Word where we see His character and what He's done and who we are in Him. We hang out with Him in prayer, which is just talking to Him, telling Him our burdens, telling Him our sins, confessing, asking for help. And we do this with the family of God. Now, our new identity would, would, would 
bring up in our hearts this desire to do everything in the name of Jesus out of hearts of of thankfulness. And if we're going to seek Jesus and make much of him, Paul says it's going to happen as the word of Christ dwells in you richly in fellowship with Jesus in prayer and in the one anothering reminders we all desperately need about who Jesus is and who we are in him. I'll say it clearly. I don't care if you complete your Bible reading plan. Right? Being a pastor and hearing people talk about their Bible reading plans is like the funniest thing ever, right? They're always like, yeah, it's probably going to take me a little longer. <laughs> like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay if it takes you a little longer. I don't care if you complete your Bible reading plan. I do care that the Word of Christ dwells in you richly. I, I do care about that because I want Jesus for you. Right? I don't care if you can pray flowery prayers. I do care that you talk to Jesus like a child who needs his daddy. (laughs) I do care about that. I don't care how you do fellowship with other believers. We have about 77 different options here for you. If you choose the 78th thing that's not here, I don't care, but I do care that you show up on Sundays to worship with us and that you're in some smaller setting where you're with other believers praying and letting the word dwell richly among you together as you seek to walk towards Jesus. I do care that you're, you have a smaller group of people where you're known and you can know and where you're, you're loved and you can love. I do care about that. Not only hanging out with Jesus, but hanging out with others who are becoming like and want to be with Jesus is not optional, it's essential. Right, so we, we need each other. Now, here, I'll just say this to you. In, in, the, in the places and the spaces where we see sin intractable and stuck and broken, there is one thing that is so common that I just want to say it out loud here in light of this to just say, love you enough to say it is, isolation is <laughs> where we see it all the time. You're just off by yourself, right? And if you've ever watched, if you've ever watched any nature shows, like on World Geographic, right, who does the lion go for? Right? They, they go for the one that's this off by themselves, unprotected, wandering away from the rest of the herd or flock or whatever other prey is wandering around. I say, just don't be that person. Right? Get in community. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly together. Go to Jesus together. Because otherwise, when you put yourself in isolation, you're just, you're just setting yourself up for trouble. So word and prayer and community is how we're going to set our minds on things above and seek Jesus and, and live into this reality of who we are. Point number two, keep putting off who you're not. So kids, I want you to imagine you've been playing outside all day in the mud and the rain and you're hot and you're sweaty and you come in and you take a shower or bath and you come out and your parents have laid out for you the same stinky, wet, dirty, nasty clothes that you were wearing before. That'd be weird, right? right? No, no parent does that, right? That lay out the same clothes before. But it's even more weird... <laughs> to keep putting on the same stinky clothes of sin after Jesus has washed us from our sins. That's the analogy Paul has here. Put off and put on. Put off who you were and put on who you are. So remember I said last week that you've died to your sin 
with Christ. So Paul is telling us to take off the old, dirty clothes that we were buried in. To make the analogy more graphic, it would be an ugly thing to go dig up a grave and put on old grave clothes, wouldn't it? That'd be an ugly thing. It'd be a, a sick thing. It would have been a strange thing if after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? In the Bible it says he stunk. If he said, no, I'm, I'm just going to keep wearing these. I'm just going to keep wearing these, right? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense of what's happened. So here Paul gives two lists where the old dead person might show up again and two reminders why we should not keep wearing those clothes. So listen first to list one in verses 5 to 6. It says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, and on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So Paul is reminding them of the seriousness of these sins. The wrath of God comes because of these things. Those who aren't in Christ will be punished for these things. These are the sinful inclinations that rise up from within us that we need to continually put to death by seeking the reality of who Jesus is and who we are in Him. I'm not going to spend time defining each one, but I think they're obvious enough for us to pause and ask right now, right now in your life, are these sinful things, these sinful inclinations seeking to find a place in your heart again? Are they? Sexual immorality. Right? Pornography counts. Right? That, that counts. Is that finding a place in your lustful thoughts? Sexual immorality seeking a place in your heart these days? Or impurity? Do you find yourself just walking away from holiness and towards sin in some areas of your life? Where are those areas? What about passions and desires that don't accord with Jesus? Or is there any place in your life right now that you just want something that isn't yours to have, that God hasn't provided right now? You're coveting. Have you ever cared more about something than you care about Jesus, right? Are you coming and you're coveting, you're wanting an idolater who wants something more uh, than Jesus? Right? So, so that's the first list. Those are the old grave clothes that seek to be put back on by, by Satan in sin. And now here's Paul's reminder. It's a great reminder. He says, In these you too once walked when you were living in them. In other words, Paul's main reasoning to put those things off, to not wear those anymore, is he says, you don't live there anymore. Like, like that's not your home. That's what you used to do when that was your home. That's not your home anymore. It's not your residence anymore. Your home is in Jesus, and so don't be at home with sin. Right? If your home is in Jesus... Don't be at home with sin. Don't fellowship with Jesus while you fellowship with idols is the way Paul would say it in 1 Corinthians. So if you found yourself saying yes to sins in that list, remember right now, you have died with Christ to sin. 
your life is hidden with Christ in God. Those places aren't home anymore. That's not you anymore. Walk in newness of life, not where you used to walk. Start today, and we said last week, maybe the newness of life that God would work in us would simply be the newness of repentance. Maybe the newness of life today is just calling that thing that you've been hiding, that you've been walking, and that's had a hole, and you're just calling it what it is, sin. And I'm just going to encourage you today, at this point, to do it in community. Now, (laughs) the Bible talks about a bunch of reasons to do this in community, but let me just give you one reason why when sin is lurking, it's so important to do this in community. Because one of the tricks, one of the lies of Satan that he'll tell you is to just keep hiding it. To keep dealing with with it on your own. Keep dealing with it in the darkness. And then one of the things that will slowly creep into your mind is that, man, if you told someone, they would never be able to love you. They would would never be able to accept you. They would would never, ever be able to receive you and, and care for you. And then you start to think, well, maybe that's how it is with God, too. Maybe, maybe God's disgusted by me. Maybe God's done with me. Maybe God's annoyed with me. And he, here's what will happen. <laughs> if you would, whatever, whatever community that you have, whatever little group of people that you have, if you would say that thing out loud to them, to someone that is a safe place to say it, you know what they would probably say? Man, I love you. Let's walk toward Jesus together. Sister, I love you. <laughs> Let's walk toward Jesus together. Man, I, 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 maybe, maybe they had that same struggle. Maybe they said, man, I don't have the same struggle, but I got some stuff. Let's walk towards Jesus together. Let's, let's love each other enough to, to right, not treat this sin like it can condemn us or shame us, and also not treat this sin like it's welcome house guest. We're going to find the middle ground of love here and say we're going to walk towards Jesus together. I'm just telling you <laughs> that they will do that. I'm telling you that then you'll go, maybe that's how God is. Maybe God receives me and loves me in all my brokenness. And all of a sudden, Satan has lost all the power of shame and darkness. So, you're putting this off. You're repenting. You're saying, that's not who I am. That's not home anymore. And you're saying it to someone else so you can walk forward together. List number two, verses 8 to 9a. It says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, and do not lie to one another. So these don't always have to work this way. They certainly work on their own. But I want you to imagine for a second these kind of working their way from the inside out as an example of just how sneaky sin is. Right? What, what it starts with is some angry thoughts towards someone, right? In your mind that you're, that you're entertaining These might be angry thoughts that are coming from a real offense. They might be angry thoughts because you're just full of shame and you're just angry all the time, right? But there's angry thoughts towards people. You don't like someone. You're frustrated. You're you're mad. And all of a sudden, that angry thought starts to spill out, right, in in an an outburst, a wrath-filled outburst, putting them down, putting them in their place, telling them how it really is. And then it goes from angry thoughts to the kind of thoughts that are filled with malice, which means that you want bad for them. Like you start thinking, I wish people knew. 
I, I, I don't like them. I, I want bad for them. Even if it's just a little bad, I want bad for them. I don't want them to succeed. You hear about something that went well for me, oh, I don't want that for them. That, that's malice. It's anger welling up into to malice. Then as you want bad for them, you start to take opportunities to let other people know in very Christian terms how disappointed you are in them. Right? You might even use a prayer meeting for this. All sorts of unhealthy and, and ungodly talk flows from our deep places of anger and we're trying to shift the narrative to make others think something of them and think more highly of us. And as the impurity and the lust and the anger and the malice and the slander sneak up on you and create this prison cell where you begin to be trapped or you begin to be caught in all these things, now you have to begin to lie to yourself and others about who you are and what you've done. And if you stay in that lie long enough, you've got to live the lie. Right? And in that moment, right, Satan, the father of lies, knows I've got him. Right? They still think they are who they used to be. Right? They're, too, they're too ashamed to walk in newness of life, of repentance. Right? He's tricked you into your old identity, trapping you in your sin and throwing away the keys as you hide in your shame. <laughs> and if that all sounds familiar, uh, sometimes when I, when I preach something like this, people say, oh, you just, you just hit me right where I was. And I'm just like, that's just what the Bible does. <laughs> The Bible is this universal book written by the God of the universe who just knows the human condition and knows all these places we're tempted. But now Paul gives us this beautiful reminder. If you're feeling trapped there, if you're seeing yourself in that story, here's the reminder, verses 9 to 11. You have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all, and he's in all. In other words, Paul is saying, become who you are. (laughs) You've put that off. You've put that on, so step out of the grave clothes. Step out of the shame. Remember you're new. Remember you're being renewed day by day to be like Jesus. Remember your identity is not defined by your cultural or social status anymore as if you need to be trapped into some generational or cultural or social pattern. Christ is all. All are equal at the foot of the cross. All need grace. And the beauty of the gospel is he's taking people with all sorts of cultural uniqueness, joyful uniqueness, and all sorts of cultural sinful uniqueness and he's bringing them and he's saying here your sins are forgiven here is where Christ is all and here is where Christ is in all and here is where we're one in him that's the beauty of the gospel we have been crucified with Christ it's no longer we who live but Christ who lives in us therefore when we're tempted to other identities and when we fall back into sin we remember who we are We confess our sin and we walk in newness of life, in holiness, in repentance, in fellowship with Jesus. In other words, we're just invited back into true life. We we step away from true life for a while and Jesus just says, just come back. It's who you are. You don't need to wait, just, just come back. Last point, point number three. Keep putting on who you are, verses 12 to 17. So Paul starts this section by reminding us of three 
amazing realities of who we are, chosen, holy, and loved. Last time I preached through Colossians 3, I preached a whole sermon on those three realities. I'm going to try not to do that right now. And so what I want you to do is, I, I really do want you to just close your eyes for a minute, and I'm just going to unpack briefly what each of these things means, and I'm going to give you a minute or two to just let it settle on you, and then I'll keep going to finish out the sermon. So just bow your heads and let, let these realities wash over you. So chosen, holy, and love. God, first of all, he chose you. <laughs> he chose you before the foundation of the world. He knew you would be a rebel against him, but he chose you. He sent his son to die for you and adopt you and to have you so that by faith you would belong to him forever. That's what it means to be chosen by God before the foundation of the world. God has made you holy. He has set you apart He's covered you in the righteousness of Jesus. You are as white as snow. No past sin by you, no past sin against you makes you dirty in the eyes of God. You're clean. (laughs) You're holy before him. And God loves you. If you're in Christ, God loves you. You're his child. You cannot make him love you less. You didn't earn his love because you're lovely, but instead his love makes you lovely. You're accepted and affirmed by God. You're forever his inheritance. So just for a minute or two, think about what it means to be chosen, holy, and loved by God. Lord, help us. Help us when we leave this place today. Believe these things about us as Satan, the father of lies, would seek to heap all sorts of tricks and condemnation on us. We pray in your name. Amen. So in light of who you are in Christ, chosen, holy, and loved, there are three commands that are meant to bring you into the life of Christ in this section. The first is found in verses 12 to 14, and the command is to put on your new clothes that give you the mind and heart of Jesus. These are the clothes of the character of Christ interacting in the wild with other people. That's what this is. This is you in Christ interacting with other people. And as I read this list slowly, I would just simply ask that you would ask God to grow this heart in you and and think about what if this began to work its way out in our church. What would the world see? How free would we be in our interactions with one another if this, these characteristics followed this command to put on Jesus? So here are the, the things to put on. Put on compassion that moves towards physical and spiritual need with love. Put on kindness. And kindness is not Minnesota niceness. Right? It's, not, it's not that kindness is something that seeks the active good of others, seeks to do good to others, even our enemies. That's the kindness of Christ. Or humility that seeks to make much of Jesus, not ourselves in every situation. So humility is a life 
living for Christ and for the good of others to, to see and to know Christ. And it's not about itself. It's about him and about them. That's what humility is. Or meekness that is strong and gentle to those around. If a meek person is someone that's in the, the hardest conversations, in the hardest places, and will say the hard things, but it's always filled with this gentleness, right? this quiet confidence, this, this deep resounding love for the people that it's interacting with, even if it has to say and do hard things. Paul would say, put on patience, which is really just waiting with others as we're all on this slow road of sanctification together. Paul says, put on the reality of bearing with one another in all our differences and preferences, right? Maybe more seriously an example like all the COVID stuff, right? I don't want to bring it up again either. But right, bearing with one another in our preferences and our thoughts. Or maybe something sillier like name changes, Right? Y'all are different. Y'all, have, y'all got a lot of different preferences. So how do we bear with one another in the serious, in the, the silly, right? Or forgiveness. Put on forgiveness that seeks to forgive to the depth and the extent that Christ has forgiven us even when real offense and real hurts have occurred. Right? Forgiveness says, I've really been hurt. I've really been offended. And I'm going to absorb that loss and release you from the burden. That's that's what Jesus did. How how can we be like that? Or love. He says, above all, put on love. Love for others that, like the love of God, is self-giving and helps others to be invited into fellowship with Jesus and walk away from sin and makes all those other characteristics possible. What would it look like to be a church that puts those things in? We're never going to put them on perfectly, but more and more says, Lord, help us put these on. The second command after put these on is in verse 15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. This is where your identity and relationship and joy in Jesus, when you let all those produce a peace, with Jesus that becomes the umpire calling the balls and strikes in your life. In other words, you're, you're trusting the mind of Christ and the peace you have with him, the, the settledness you have with him to reign as the judge in your life. No longer making decisions or living from anxious, frustrated, angry, shameful patterns of the old man. Instead, letting the peace of Christ reign and rule in your heart. And when you're found in those anxious places, taking a breath, Remembering Jesus reigns and Jesus is for you and not against you. And then letting that peace that you have in your heart make you a peacemaker in this body. Right? You're called the one body. That's where the the peace that's in your heart goes on display in this body as that peace goes out towards others. And the third command is simply this and is so, so hard. Be thankful. Simple, right? Be thankful, right? After all we've seen today, right? It would seem easy for it to be thankful, but I think it's so, so hard in our day and age to be thankful. This, this one-click, instant gratification world, this world that's training us to hold grudges, to think about what we don't have more than what we do have, to think about what's been done against us more than all that God has done for us. That's just where we're, we're living. It's hard to be thankful. But thankfulness looks at the gospel and sees that in Christ we've been given all we need 
and all we could want now and forever. And thankfulness, therefore, is not operating from a stance of, of lacking. Thankfulness is not looking to others to provide what we need. Thankfulness is not filled with frustration in our circumstances or always needing more. Instead, thankfulness, I think, operates from a position of gospel fullness. Like, I have what I need. Got it all. What else could I need or want after all that Christ has given to me? Let me just say this. Maybe it's obvious, but just say it out loud. A heart that would put on these characteristics of Christ, a heart that would be at peace and a peacemaker, and a heart that is thankful will stand out in the world we're living in today. Won't it? These are, these are not that high of bars. <laughs> but to just live a, more like Christ, to be at peace and to be thankful will stand out. They'll stand out in your workplace if you're at peace and you're thankful. They'll stand out in your, your extended family if you're at peace and you're thankful. They'll stand out in a bunch of situations where you've been hurt and you say, I'm, I'm working to forgive them. Right? And it might be these kinds of things that make the world go, help us understand the reason for the hope that's in you. Peace in Jesus and thankfulness to Jesus and all these other commands are meant to lead us into the life of Christ. Lead us to see what he sees, think what he thinks, and slowly but surely do what he does. They lead us into further identity with him, and from there flows new morality and new life. And so the call to us today is take off the grave clothes, put on the new clothes, and seek to set all our energy, thoughts, and actions on becoming who we are already in Jesus, that we might be free, that the world might see, and that God might get all the glory. So let me pray. God, we need your help. And so, Lord, as we, as we sing this reflection song, before we come to the table with you, Lord, would you work in us this putting off and this putting on? Would you work in us this desire for more of the life of Jesus in us and flowing out of us? So please, please, as we sing and we reflect now and then we come to eat and drink with you, Lord, do this in us, Lord. Fulfill what you command, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.